So it's very nice to be back, and uh, thank you for everyone taking care of the monastery. Um, means I can go kayaking. <laughs> but besides kayaking, I also had a chance to make quite a lot of contacts in Victoria and Cortez Island, and then the uh, Great Reunion at uh, Bayagiri, and I managed to bring back a bhikkhu. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very, very good trip. Um, just for those who are new to the order, I didn't do this when I was a seminary. <laughs> <laughs> so for the first five years, I just basically stayed in Wapapongwan and Achat or Branch Monasteries. And uh, there was nothing to do but really work and meditate, there were no, no distractions. So, and then my karma changed and they sent me to England and then the traveling started. Uh, but to, to have, a, to have a, a monastery where there's stability of both, um, stability of purpose, stability of social convention, uh, stability of residence. This is uh, tremendously helpful for contemplating the, the Four Noble Truths because when you have that kind of stability, you have a really a very good vehicle from which you can observe your reactions, your loves and hates, your interests and boredoms and, and all of that. So the stability in the vehicle um, you can't really change that much. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If the vehicle was corrupt or, or uh, distract, so abusive or distracted, then get out. Get out of the vehicle, right? But it's not the case. It's a very, very good vehicle. And Lopo Semedo also taught that and what on a chat. You don't need a Tesla. Volkswagen's good enough. You don't need the best, it's good enough and very good if you think about the way the world operates. So we surrendered to this form, to this hierarchy, to this uh, con the conventions that we live by. Uh, our, our allegiance is to, to the Buddha, to his enlightenment, and our inspiration is his enlightenment. And then we have all the um, practitioners, lay people, monastics that come down to us, that give us this opportunity to um, live this life. And it, it is really, really a rare thing, a very rare thing. So I could certainly see in uh, uh, Abhayagiri this, the, the joy that everyone had in being together, and celebrating the life of Abhayagiri, celebrating uh, a life, uh, the leadership of uh, Ajahn, Ajahn Pasano. And as I was saying, I was very taken by how much goodwill there was. 
uh, in that gathering amongst each other. The uh, upataks at Abhayagiri, they had their work cut out because we were, like, we hardly had any. It was all, it was wall to wall ajans. So the upataks are running, <laughs> running around with trays and getting this and getting that. Beautiful kind of serving us, but they're probably happy that it's over. <laughs> Well, that is that's so so wonderful to see. Uh, as I was talking to Mark, in a in a in a culture where hierarchy isn't really, it can be seen as a pejorative word, yeah, or that male energy can be very competitive or aggressive. To have a a community of men that uh, allow women to come and participate here too, as well, but that we live together in a way which is. Uh, uses hierarchy and then um, uses conventions, uses very conservative tradition and so that the relationships that we have have a, a gentleness to them and yet to live this life you have to have a core of strength and that's, that's I think um, a rare thing in, in uh, I think all human culture. Um, and I think what really underlies that is, is, is goodwill. And goodwill is so, so fundamental to the, uh, the Buddhist offering to us, so fundamental, whether you talk about the precepts, the Brahmaviharas, the Metta Sutta, the ways of admonishment, giving admonishment, receiving admonishment, the ways of sharing requisites, the way of asking for forgiveness, the way of taking dependence. You know, if you if you look at all of that, whether it's Vinaya or or uh, Dhamma, it's just, it's just rooted in goodwill, isn't it? So basic. And sometimes in Theravada, in monasticism, sometimes we do get caught up with thoughts of attainment and high levels of concentration. But just the, the like the fundamental nature of goodwill seems to be to be equally profound, and sometimes that's. Uh, it is emphasized, yeah, but, but I think the profundity of that is not to be dismissed as something trivial, like metta-bhavana, something trivial, but it's actually very profound. When, uh, say, when Lumpa Cha used to, when Lumpa Cha would teach, he'd sometimes say uh, to, to, the, to the lay people, to the monastics, listen to, when you hear a Dhamma talk, listen with your heart, not with your head. And, and that's, uh, you know, that heart and head thing I was talking about in Abhayagiri. And, and the head is, is, for me, the way you might think about it, the head is the, the, the way we make, you know, we discern things, we see differences, we compare, we make analysis, we make judgments. That's an important part of being an intelligent human being. And the heart part is like receiving. So when you listen with your heart, you're, you're receiving this, the language of the teacher, the ideas of the teacher, rather than critiquing it or, or trying to, or maybe comparing it to another teacher or thinking the jokes weren't as good as the other teacher or thinking about a YouTube presentation which you like better. That's all discernment and, and critical faculty, which is all right, but to listen in a kind of receptive way, to allow the language and the imagery and the the heart of the teacher to sort of come to you in a in a receptive way is a, is a way of the heart I think so 
sometimes we talk about the way of the heart, so you think you have to get some kind of feeling in the heart. Well, that certainly happens a lot, but you can always be receptive. You can, you can, always, you can always be receptive. And to me, that seems one of the bases of, of, of goodwill. And one is willing to participate in life and this kind of, have this kind of receptive quality. So as a, as a community, we have uh, social conventions and, and goodwill is very much outlined in our, um, the way we relate with each other. And, uh, and some of you might have seen Ajahn Jayasaro's talk, which is brilliant, uh, of Ayagiri, but he, he was saying that, that the, the basis of our, of our life, of our life of goodwill, do you, would you like a chair? You're okay? Please, yeah. Uh, the basis of our of our of our life of goodwill is, is dana, generosity, and and the, the mahadana of, of morality is the way we offer we give fearlessness to all beings. And that was quite a, that was very beautiful, wasn't it, when Jen Jayasara talked in that way. And the way he, he said is that that um, living here that I promise even though I might like dislike you and feel critical of you, I promise I will not abuse you physically or verbally. I make you that promise. And it was really a really lovely way to put it, wasn't it? And then that gives you the gift of fearlessness. First precept. And you give it to the squirrels. We're working on the uh, deer flies, are we? Which are we? <laughs> But you can see how beautiful that way of of thinking about ethics is, rather than crime and punishment. Like you know, if you if you if you if you hurt me, then you you you're going to get bad karma. Rather, which sometimes we get from other traditions, but rather it's a gift. It's a gift. So I I refrain from dumping my stuff on you. I may dislike you, but I live within the confines of, 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 of non-harm. Uh, and then the gift of, of, of uh, impeccability. So I give Nirasa the gift of not taking stuff. Or who's, who's a kitchen manager now? I give William the gift of not taking chocolate, not sneaking into the kitchen in the middle of the night taking chocolate. I give him the gift where he doesn't have to worry about people nicking stuff in the kitchen. <laughs> and we've had that. We've had, we had, we had a person who was, unfortunately, had a bit of, um, I think, mental issues, but he was going in the kitchen and stealing chocolate. And that, you know, that upsets people. <laughs> not that, I'm not saying anyone's doing this, right? <laughs> but, but then you, you take that to the larger world that you give, you know, you give your employees the, the gift of, of um, not cheating on them or the store owner or, or whatever. You give the gift of not taking that which is not given. I promise I won't take your gear. That seems so obvious, doesn't it? Like, I promise I will not take your alarm clock. I promise I will not steal your hat. You will keep your hat, right? Now, it seems ludicrous to us and I would nick your hat because I've got so many hats. <laughs> but not just that, but it just, I think, indicates how, 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 how moral we really are, you know, how committed we are to each other's well-being. It's unthinkable, isn't it? Not just because 
we have a law, but it just would be so, so totally bizarre. And yet, you can see, if, like I've had, I've, I've done, I did one 10 day retreat some, some way, way back, and someone's wallet went missing on the 10 day retreat. And you know what that did to the, to the retreat? It's everyone locked their doors, you know, and then was it someone in the staff? Was it someone on the retreat? It was very, very, very uh, disturbing in, in a way which was minor in terms of how people might operate in, in a corrupt world. But you could see that the gift of fearlessness around not taking that was not given. Um, and then for us, the gift of, 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 of celibacy would be in not the five precepts, the eight precepts, but you imagine like if, if someone, uh, if if a woman comes to the monastery uh, and, and if a monk is attracted to her, he promises her, not verbally, but in his own heart, I will not follow that energy. I won't look at you. I won't, I won't pursue uh, my sexual desires or my romantic desires or my lonely needs. I will not do that to you. I will let you be here and not be inflicted with that energy. And that's a huge gift to give, isn't it? And that's not to say that as men we don't feel that. Obviously we do, we're men. But, but we say, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respect you because you came here not for that. You came here for the dumb, not, not to fulfill my needs. Um, and that's a... So, so it's not so much as being somehow chased in, you, know, you never feel, you feel anything. You just make a promise. Make a promise not to, not to inflict that need onto another person. And then I, I make a promise that when I'm, I won't use language or communication to put you down or hurt you or lessen you in front of others or, or whatever. Uh, I won't communicate to a third party in ways ways which are hurtful to you. And that frees that frees the other person that they're not being gossiped about, or, or I, I, I promise you, even though I feel a bit embarrassed about that thing I did last week, I won't lie to you. I won't, I won't flick that on. And then either way, I'm just sort of portrayed the sobriety one is that, like, it all falls apart if you don't exercise sobriety, right? So. I promise you I will not uh, use things which then negate all those four other promises I have. Get drunk, all bets are off, so wrong speech, all of that stuff. I'm sorry, I'm drunk, now I'm allowed to abuse you, whatever. Again, that doesn't apply to us. Amazing, isn't it? It's really huge problems in, in, in society. But, but you know, it's an indication of, of the kind of way that, that, that our, our teaching and our tradition is, is coming from goodwill. I think that, that the moral basis of it from goodwill, dana, mahadana, rather than crime and punishment, and rather than guilt and, and, and those kinds of things, is really very, very beautiful to contemplate. I give to you freedom from fear, and then the animal realm, and, and so on. So, uh, and then on a, on a, on a personal interpersonal level, goodwill is just 
really making an effort to not get caught in the perceptions of negativity that we might have about each other. Seeing they will arise, our judgments and criticisms of others, um, they'll come up, but but then we can, we always return, yeah, yeah, but may you be free from suffering. Yeah, you know, I'm not really digging you right now, but may you be free from suffering. I wish you wouldn't do that, but may you be free from suffering. You're always going back to goodwill rather than to ill will. And that, that's deeply rooted, isn't it? It's deep, deeply rooted in our tradition. And, and what does that do? What does that do for the mind? It's, it's a ground for samadhi. Isn't it? You know, goodwill is really a, a basis for samadhi, the remorse plus the, the open heart. And so we have, in our Vinaya, we have the recommendations around admonishment, around practicing the Brahmaviharas, practicing the, the metta methodologies uh, through lists or me and you and so on. And those are the interpersonal ways we talk about goodwill. But also, and that's where, I suppose that's where you define, you, you take the teaching in the, in a personal way. That's where the sense of self. So I'm Viradamu. So there's me and there's you, there's people, there's passports, there's calendars. I have my room, you have your room, I have my hat, you have your hat. And that's the interpersonal way we talk about our life. And that's one way. But then the other way we talk about our life is this stream of consciousness. So I don't, uh, I don't, like, Jane is over there. Hello, Jane. <laughs> and there is there. There. But in stream of consciousness, there's visual perception, there's audio perception, there's space, there's depth, there's memory, there's touch, there's sound, there's sight, there's thought, there's memory, there's emotion. So we're looking at stream of consciousness. And to apply goodwill to that, I think that, for me, very important, that receptive attitude, where you, you're willing to receive the whole of this experience this present experience as it flows, whether it's uh, happy emotions or, or embarrassing emotions or no emotions or painful feelings or non-painful feelings, this, this flow of conscious experience that we have is a given. It's a given. We don't, we don't choose it. We don't choose the heat. We don't choose our emotions. We don't choose our, our aches and pains. Or happiness, and they arise because of causes and conditions. And to uh, to practice goodwill there is, I think, almost You know, it's very simple. It all belongs, and that's that's metta bhavana, not as interpersonal, um, as not as relationship, but rather as as what, as accepting presence. Right? I, I accept the totality of this experience. And from that, the head can operate. So I would say the heart should come from the head. From that you get discernment, right? If I don't, if I don't enter into this moment in a wholehearted acceptance that I can't know this moment, if I've already particled it out that this is acceptable and this is unacceptable, shouldn't be this way, shouldn't be that way, you shouldn't be some way, whatever, then I've, I've chopped it up and the wholeness of it I can't really contemplate, but if the heart is open and receptive, well, the whole thing feels this way, then I can choose, okay, what's the right action, what's the right speech, what's the right intention for my understanding? Because 
It's natural. It's natural to feel self-disparagement. It's natural to feel uh, uh, love of others, love of yourself. These are functions in nature. But what's unnecessary is the suffering around it. So, uh, I don't think anger is suffering. It's the non-understanding of anger. It's the non-knowing of it as an object. The ethic is suffering. Uh, self-disparagement is suffering if one thinks self-disparaging thoughts. But feeling a, a self-disparaging impulse, let's say I'm, I'm very judgmental about my own performance in life and how I should be and so on, then, and I've done that for 20, 30, 40 years, and then I do something, I drop the clock, the clock breaks, and then the first impulse is you twit. Right? You idiot, you're a dumbo. Do I have a choice in that? Not really because I've been doing it for 40 years. Where I have the choice is say, oh, so embarrassment feels this way, it belongs, and then not follow the thought. Not follow the self-thought, not follow the I-thought, not follow the me-making, I-making. And, and that's, that, those things are in cities, huh? they're, they're very strong, they're very powerful. But the arising, is the arising wrong? I wouldn't say so, it is as it is, because it's natural, it's, risen, but it's, it's just the conditioned nature of the mind. Uh, you don't. If 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 we had, if we could choose all the arisings that come into consciousness, we would. But we can't. It happens because things get triggered. What we can do, what we can do is begin to really notice the triggerings, right, as I always say, and then don't not not get embroiled in the triggers, but take refuge in the knowing. Very simple, but difficult, difficult to do. And, and, and the act of good, and just think about it, you know, you, all the stuff I experienced today, my knees hurt, and they don't hurt, and I'm thirsty, and then I'm not thirsty, and I, I like being in the cool, and I don't like the heat, and all this different stuff I experience. What if my attitude toward it is, is one of goodwill? And it's all natural. And yet I also am, I have discernment. I know if I follow that train of thought, that leads that leads to a road of suffering. But if I pursue this attitude, that leads to liberation. So I'm not, we're not dismissing discernment, the capacity to use intelligence and analysis and, 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 and judgment. There's nothing wrong with judgment. But it's no longer embedded in ill will. It's no longer embedded in greed. It's no longer embedded in ignorance and delusion and, and uh, aversion and all those things. So judgment, which is, which is embedded in goodwill, can make very strict uh, intentions. No, I'm not going to do that. All right? I'm not going to hurt that person anymore. I'm not going to. I'm trying. I'm going to try not to speak in that way. And then it comes up again. I'm going to try to go this different direction. That that I can keep intending the mind. I can keep inclining the mind to goodness, to forgiveness, to um, renunciation, whatever I want. That inclination, right intention, with right thought. I think comes from this acceptance of the the total totality of, of my my conscious experience in any moment, any given moment. So for me, metta bhavana and, and the awakened mind are synonymous. I think it's a it's a necessary component, but it's not sentimental. You know, it's not. I don't love my, I don't love the negative thoughts that come through consciousness. I don't love arthritis. It's not sentimental, but it belongs. Arthritis belongs. Sore, puffy, 
ankles below. Right? Um, stomach aches below, but make sure you throw out the old doll. <laughs> we, can, we can do things, right? We can do things, but if it's there, it's there. So, so you know, I think the contemplation of goodwill is 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 more more. You know, I think I, I think a person who who is cynical finds goodwill difficult because they think it's sentimental. Right? But sentimentality to me is not goodwill; it's thought. Life is lovely, we're all one. Well, maybe. <laughs> but goodwill is more, it's more deep than a, than a thought pattern. It's more deep than inspiration. It, it is, it is the, the awareness of things as they are with, 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 with wisdom and acceptance, with wisdom and loving kindness. That, that the Dalai Lama, when I, I, I heard a uh, talk of his in Auckland, and uh, he is way back. And it was many years ago. Everything's many years ago. <laughs> but he, uh, he he gave this talk, and he said that that the compassion was the method. And I never never kind of tweaked. It's the method rather than the goal. And for me, you know, compassion was the goal. I said I should be more compassionate. I hate these people. No, no, you have to be more compassionate. But he, so he said, anyway, he said, it's, it's the method. It's the method. Oh. And then I began to see, yeah, it's the attitude to anger. It's the attitude to fear. It's the attitude to greed, to the whole, the whole nine yards of our various forms of you know, defilements and suffering that we have, a kind of goodwill towards this moment. And, 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 and so, you, like, you feel... If you feel, if I feel irritated at someone, goodwill to the feeling in stream of consciousness. But if you look at your own mind, you know, how often when something comes up, the mind just goes into self-disparagement. Oh, how could I be like that? I shouldn't be like that. And that's not goodwill. And then you hear a talk like this, and then you think, I shouldn't be, shouldn't be, shouldn't be. And you compound the interest, right? And, and, and so thought won't work. That won't work there. I think what will work is receptive silence. And, and once, you know, once you learn how to do that, the negativity, negativity comes up, but it's no longer being adjudicated by thought and by ideals and by attachment to, to idealism and so on. It's not, you're not judging it that way. And then in that receptive mode of witnessing and knowing with goodwill, you begin to incline to the unconditioned. Because now you're no longer trying to fix the conditions. You do two things. You strengthen awareness of change. You incline more to the unconditioned. And you stop fueling the, the delusion, the delusion of self. And you know, I always say the same thing. But, but you know, we, we, if you're monitoring stream of consciousness, right, and you're really paying attention to stream of consciousness, you're paying attention to self-creation. And, and the self-creations are me and you, or me and me, or whatever. They're in thought. They have an I component. Uh, they might be complaining about someone, or, or disparaging yourself, but it's always me, 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 my, my, my. And how do you fix that? With more thought? Maybe. Maybe you should. But usually if it's more thought, if it's analytical thought, it's usually my thought. So I do something which is uh, maybe inappropriate, 
and then I notice it, and then I berate myself, I shouldn't be like that, and it just goes in thinking. But the awakened mind, the awakened mind, oh, this is what self-disparagement feels like. It's silent. And then, then you start to get in tune with the underlying energies which drive hatred, which drive fear, which drive desires and, 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 and all kinds of passions. You, you see the en- energy form and you are no longer trying to get that energy form right, but you're abiding as compassionate Buddha, as wise, accepting, knowing, as this energy field. And then the energy, well, because it, it has its natures to rise and cease, you really start to notice the cessation. You start to notice the cessation in a, in a, in a, a particular arising. So if I feel... Um, anxious about something, and then I, I'm really goodwill towards the anxiety. Wow, this is, I'm really anxious. Wow, I feel this. And you're really with it, and then you're with it for a while, and you know it isn't, and it, you begin to see it. it's not there. And you notice non-anxiety, and you notice anxiety. You notice the arising anxiety, see the cessation of anxiety, see the space, non-anxiety. And all the time, you're becoming more and more conversant with awareness of change. And as you become awareness, conversant with that, awareness of change, that becomes your abiding awareness of change. It began, it will end. No, not it will end, no. And you don't go to thought. You don't pick it up with thought. You don't pick it up with ideas, with self-creations, with all the rest of it that we do. And if you have the trust and faith and presence of mind to do that, then the fueling of ego, of self and all that, which causes so much suffering, that fueling burns out, and you have the sense of coolness. Right? The, the, whole, the whole ego structure, me as a, as, a, as a lesser being than you, or me as a greater being than you, or uh, whatever, or me as a historical being who shouldn't have done this and shouldn't have done that, or me as a future being who will do this and who will do that, and so on, all that energy of self, you, oh, it's that it's self-thinking. And you begin to drop it. You begin to just no longer go with the thinking, the habitual thinking processes of self. And then it's just raw energy. And then that raw energy, that all this will change. And that's not suffering. It's just raw energy. It really is. It's unpleasant. That's the problem. That's the problem. And the problem, the unpleasant, is you don't want it. I don't want it. And then try to get rid of it. You know, I, was, I was saying, like, the, the, just before I left for this trip out west, I said something to someone, I forget who it said, and it came from a cutting place. It didn't come from a kind place. And I feel awful after. I don't even know if the person saw it. But it was very interesting for me because the remorse was very compassionate. And then what wanted to go on top of it was aversion, self-aversion. And to keep the heart open in the midst of self-aversion, I could see how remorse is actually very good. It's a good feeling. Guilt. Now we're going to see what's the difference between remorse and guilt. And guilt is thinking hateful thoughts towards yourself. That's not remorse. Remorse is actually compassion, isn't it? Oh, hmm, I could have, that must have hurt. Try not to do that again. And that quite often happens with the open. You know, you, you, you have some sense of vulnerability. Or, or whatever, and that, that, that openness of the heart then gets, I think, overlaid by thought, by thoughts of guilt or 
whatever it is, and that the heart doesn't have a chance to open. So I think this way of, 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 of um, goodwill, practiced in cultural ways, in the ways of right speech, in the ways of deportment and deference and uh, care, elders caring for juniors and juniors caring for elders, that's the, that's the dance we do. That's the social dance that we do, and we do it quite well. All right? uh, but within it, I might really hate you. <laughs> and that's allowed too. Isn't that amazing? So you might be taking dependence, and I say, oh, jeez, this guy. <laughs> that doesn't happen. Much. But the, the, <laughs> the beauty of this is that whatever comes up here, I have a social convention within which I respect you and you respect me, right? And then I can watch that feeling of whatever and see, oh, and have goodwill towards that. Then I can have both ways. I can socially act in a way which is according to our noble principles and honor that, even though I might feel negative inside. And then I can also feel the goodwill towards a negative inside. I can do it both ways. And I have to do it both ways. Because if I only do it socially, I just, I'm, I'm just going to be um, repressed. You know, just to be a, a nice bhikkhu all the time, uh, or a nice anagarika, or a nice samanera, all the time, um, and, and, and be holding down this stuff in some false way will, will kill you. The holy life will just dry up. Right? But just to feel annoyed and just dump it on each other, we wouldn't have a community. Might as well just go and live with the bears. <laughs> I'll keep my room, thanks. <laughs> so that wouldn't work either. So what works is a commitment to sincere communication, but also a commitment to goodwill to whatever is in your heart, whatever comes up. Right? And I don't see how else you could do it. So uh, just a commitment to some kind of expression of whatever you feel. I have to express this. Like I think there's a, I think there's an error in Western psychology that kind of says maybe this doesn't exist anymore. I don't know, but maybe in my in my day of when I read a bit of that stuff, is that if you don't express everything, you're repressing it. Well, that's not true, because you can express everything and just make it worse. You know, I hate you. I punch you in the face. Great. I hate you. I punch you in the face. Great. I hate you, I'll punch you in the face. Great, okay, that did a lot. <laughs> that solved a lot. So the idea that non-expression is somehow repressive is not true. Uh, because you can both speak decently to someone, even when you dislike them. You can do that, can't you? And you can honor the sense of resistance you have to a person, or dislike you have of a person, say, oh, this belongs too. We can do both, and that's our, you know, that's one of the great challenges of our of our monastic life. Because we, you know, even though we've got a fair bit of space, it's tight. You got, you know, who who are you going to get angry at? Well, we got what eight options right there. No. <laughs> we we just nirasana. Okay, ten options. But Jane comes and goes. Mark comes and goes. And Nirmala says, "Oh, you see, you can't really get angry at them, right? Can't get much mileage." So, and that's what happened. You know, and, and it's not about me and you, it's about habit. It's about ingrained habit, it's about karmic habit, whatever you want to call it. And so we become our own mirrors. 
right? We become our own. Oh, quite often we become our own kalyanamitta, even in the midst of our conflicts. Because it's in the midst of those conflicts that, that we, yeah, we get bigger, don't we? That I have to relate to you, and I might have never gone to the pub with you if I had a choice in my life. But now I relate to you, and you're a different kind of a person from a different culture, a different age, or a different gender. Or not different gender, sorry, that doesn't work. <laughs> That's another, another way. But so, so then, then the, the conflicts that we might have, and I'm not, I'm not saying we are in conflict, but, but the, the resistances that we have, those are the sharpening stones, aren't they? They're the things that, that make us really practice. So what, what is it? Where's the attachment? And the attachment will be indicated, will be indicated by a lot of thinking. And it's obvious. Just oh, why is it like this? Or it shouldn't be like that. And then you say, but it's like this. And then you still feel the energy, but you don't, you don't just mull the thinking over, because that just leads to the same kind of thing. Yeah, so like like gratitude is something we talk a lot about. So sometimes it feels like. The whole tradition say you should be grateful. The people in China are starving. That kind of thing, but you just imagine having to be grateful all the time. Not possible, right? And then you feel ungrateful. Now, logically, you can think, why am I ungrateful? You know, people are so generous, and got these books, and got a fancy cloth, and a fancy carpet now, and, and 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 I should be grateful. But is it possible to be grateful twenty-four-seven? I don't think so, huh? But it is possible not to whinge. <laughs> so even when I feel ungrateful, I can I can not not complain, not whinge, not as an act of repression, but no, as an act of nobility. No, I'm not going to go there with speech and say, yeah, yeah, I don't really like being here right now. Thank you very much, and to accept that and to know that too, then it's not a problem. Then you're not threatened by it. But if you think you have to always be happy, grateful, and, and so on and so forth, then it, it's a very threatening thing. Because it's not possible. It's anicca. But it is possible. Right speech is possible. Right, right relationship is possible. So the vehicle carries us, and then we watch the highs and lows in our own minds. And we don't take refuge in highs or lows. And we take refuge in knowing highs and lows. And we begin to see where the peace of the mind lies. Uh, it doesn't lie in a social structure. This, this, you know, this social structure will not give you peace. It gives you a chance to observe the mind in order to discover peace. Your emotions won't give you peace. Your body, no, sorry. Um, and those ticks out there won't give you peace. Right? Um, good bread cooked in the morning won't give you peace, it'll give you pleasure. Right? And what is peace? Peace is neither pleasure nor Peace sees pleasure and pain, isn't it? Peace knows pleasure and pain. And then you can be grateful for the pleasure that you have, and you can be patient with the displeasure you have. You find that beautiful balance of the sum in the life where, where gratitude becomes a, a very obvious um, uh, expression of, oh yeah, it's nice now. It's good now, rather than a demand. And when it's not, oh, yeah, this is all right, too. I work with this one, too. So the summoner's life becomes much more one of, of gratitude and patience, where I think the, world, the worldly view is, is um, grasping 
the constructs to make life more pleasurable and then resenting the displeasure. So it's a kind of trying to hold on to pleasure and then resenting displeasure. But pleasure and displeasure are natural. We have pleasure and displeasure. That comes. But our attitude, oh, this is pleasant. It feels like this. And you combine with it. Oh, great. There's air conditioning. And then... If you can't handle the air conditioning, oh, it's cold. And you, <laughs> and you bear with it, and you ask the abbot if he'd turn the temperature up. Or whatever. So, pain and pleasure, these are part of life, but what is the attitude? And I think the attitude of goodwill puts it in a different ballpark, completely different ballpark. All right, I'll leave that for your reflection. Andamayang Vatatama Kataya Sadhukarang Dadamasi Sadhu